Hello. Howdy. And welcome to the Specs. Present. Double feature. (laughs) Episode one. Um, I'm Sylvia. I'm Mia. And we are the Specs. We're a pair of best friends. Bespeckled ones. Bespectacled. (laughs) Wait, what? You said bespeckled. Oh. Like we have (laughs) freckles freckles and dots all over us. Okay. Uh, Our first movie is Can't Hardly Wait. Mm Mm-hmm. Second movie is The Perfect Date. Can't Hardly Wait, uh, 1998. and Perfect Date, 2019. Yep, so that is our double feature. That is our pairing for this episode. Yep. So just give us a general... If you were to go on IMDb right, right. and sort of... Actually, let's, let's put it this way. Uh-huh. If you were to describe to your mom, if your mom <gasps> saw you watching this movie... Right. And she said... <laughs> and she said, okay, say it in Polish. She said, You would say. I would say in Polish. <laughs> well, <laughs> for our English speaking right, listeners, course, how would you sort of describe the sort of okay. plot generalities? You don't need to go into all the characters. We'll do that right. after. Essentially, it is a. It takes place the night after a graduation, a high school graduation, mm-hmm. and all of our main characters are at a party. This is basically where most of the movie takes place. It's at this party, um, and it just follows this. I don't know. I wouldn't call it an ensemble cast, but it's yeah, a, it's okay. an ensemble cast. It yeah. follows all of these characters and kind of what they're trying to accomplish on this night between graduation and moving on from yes. the rest of their lives and into their future. Yeah. Um, and just a bunch of silliness. Hijinks. Hijinks. High school hijinks, if you will. High school hijinks. Um, and, and yeah, it's a very typical 90s movie. Yes. And it is, it is a 90s teen movie. Precisely. It is very much of the mold, does not really... There are some, some spots we'll talk about that it, I think it does break out a little bit. It mm-hmm. does try some things. Uh, that break out a little bit, but for the most part, you've got every cliche in the book is in there. Except, actually, I was I was looking, trying to see what cliches would be in there. What they were pretty much all in there, except for I didn't see a goth. I didn't see any goth people, hmm. and I didn't see any punks either. Right. We moved out of eighties. This is late nineties. Late nineties is punks. I guess so. I mean, just punk. There's punks in every era. Every era has its <laughs> punks. I'm sure that even the medievals. Oh, had their punks. They were probably like, I only like the church a little bit. And then they were like burned at the stake. <laughs> um, but yeah, so very cliche. Mm-hmm. But is it enjoyable? <laughs> I do. So let's, let's go from sort of synopsis, opinion, and then we'll get into what actually happens right. deep into the the, the bones, <laughs> the guts, and, and the, the fascia of this picture. Right, right, right. What do you I think of it? I didn't like it. I mean, not that I didn't like it. I didn't hate it. But um, I was also in the middle of like an anxious episode when I was watching it. So as much as... <laughs> I was dissociating a little bit. <laughs> so like, you, you, I, you know how you don't like um, Pulp Fiction because you watched it like when you were sick or something? Okay, uh, <laughs> I have to set the record straight here. Right, 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 of course. I don't like Pulp Fiction. Um, it's not that I don't like it. I watched Pulp Fiction. We're really, like, laying ourselves bare here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I watched Pulp Fiction um, when I was high on Percocet after getting my wisdom teeth removed. Right. 
because I went to the library and got a bunch of movies. Um, and for some reason, I thought Pulp Fiction was the movie to watch while I was high on Percocet with all its branching fucking storylines. Um, and it wasn't. And I was just like extremely sick and like vomiting and just extremely confused throughout it. So every time I try to watch it again, I feel ill and I can't really <laughs> revisit it. So that's how I feel for half of this movie. Because okay. I stopped watching and I was like, I should, this isn't the time. Yeah. <laughs> and I watched it the other day um, and I actually enjoyed like the ending bits. And I like mm-hmm. had, I had more fun talking about that. So um, yeah, I didn't hate it. I was in unusual circumstances, <laughs> but um, it was like a funny time. It was a funky time. It was a hoot. I'm fine with it. Yeah, I think, I think it was a hoot is pretty much it. It's, it, it serves its purpose. It is, as a, as a sort of raunchy teen comedy, yeah. it's, it's kind of, yeah, it's serviceable. It, yeah. Um, I, I think the theme of this week's episode, surprisingly, I think we mentioned in the intro that the titles are only chosen by whether or not they rhyme. Um, so we did not intend to choose two teen comedies for this week. But so it happened. That's how it happened. Um, and I think the theme, for me at least, was I guess I just learned to enjoy movie. Like, this is a movie that I, I used to have such a deep grudge against mm-hmm. that I would just roll my eyes at. But I, I, I really kind of enjoyed them this, Aww, this, good. this episode. Because I usually am. Like, I like movies and I like 90s teen movies so I was expecting to actually like it a lot oh <clears throat> but I didn't <laughs> that's okay <laughs> I and I went in completely the opposite way um hating romance hating hijinks and parties and not really caring about teenagers it felt kind of like book smart yeah I think definitely cut from the same cloth mm-hmm. book smart uh which was 2019 that was yeah. recent yeah that was this summer Oh my god. Whoa, 2019's long. <laughs> years go by. Wait, is it? The days. The days are like years. The years go by. The days go by. The brain's getting smart, but the head gets dumb. So oh my god, that actually. That actually. Seek, that actually is a perfect segue because I have a bone to pick about Can't Hardly Wait soundtrack. Oh my god. Did not dive that deep. There's a lot of Smash Mouth. Love. <laughs> There's a lot of Smash Mouth, um, which is not in and of itself a bad thing, but you listen to this, just watching this movie, they must have spent so much of their budget in like licensing, licensing songs. <laughs> Every single they, song is like a recognizable re- right, 90s pop song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I actually... <laughs> Um, the thing that really killed me about the soundtrack that I, I hated, because some, some movies have very distinctive soundtracks. I think Rushmore... I knew you were going to say that. I knew Rushmore you is, the, is the epitome of a soundtrack movie for me, because I love the songs individually, but they also contribute really well to the mood of the, the movie. Can't Hardly Wait, all of the songs are so literally applicable. Yeah. Like, if the song is about dancing, the people are dancing. dancing. If the song is about walking away, someone's literally walking away. If the song is about turning around, someone's literally turning around. Yeah. Like, and it, it kind of, you're not supposed to focus that much on the lyrics of a song, yeah. but it, it just constantly took me out. Yeah. Um, 
And the songs that we're playing felt like songs that would play at, like, a 90s party. Yes. So, I mean, I guess, like, it, you know, a soundtrack should match its setting, but also it felt very literal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I'll go through, we'll go through in depth, kind of. Um, You never watched Six Feet Under. No. This was basically, I guess, where they got the entire cast of Six Feet Under. <laughs> um, because I have the, the, I wrote down the cast. The um, Ghost Whisperer. Ghost Whisperer. Uh, okay, so starring uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt as Amanda, Lauren Ambrose as Denise, Ethan Embry as Preston, Peter Fascinelli as Mike, Charlie Corsmo as William, and Seth Green as Kenny. Those are sort of the six headliners um and that is also who i would say the six members of like what i would call like the core ensemble cast Mm -hmm. um because there's not really a a protagonist maybe preston but um mostly you follow everyone and lauren ambrose is in six feet under freddie rodriguez is in six feet under um (laughs) even some of the extras uh the guy who the stoner guy he like became like a big actor or something i don't remember his name i don't remember uh the guy who licked the brownie off of denise's face also (laughs) was in six feet under so apparently a lot of the teen actors um from this movie also showed up in six feet under that was fun but so, uh, to go in depth into the many plots of the movie, it's, um, <sighs> okay, so there was a brief interruption there, uh, cards on the table, full disclosure, uh, interrupted by my brother doing whippets, <laughs> typical things, we don't have a recording studio, if you didn't catch it, this is all on the fly, this is really, um, you're you're really getting the full real experience. Kitchen table and all. Kitchen table. Uh, uh, day after Thanksgiving. This is America. Let's go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I love Charles Campino. <laughs> after that brief uh, brief interlude, uh, the sort of there's a few plots of can't hardly wait. None of them are particularly in depth because we don't really have that much time to do six in depth stories. Right. Um. So the first one is Preston. Right. He is... He is kind of like a nerd, but not really. I feel like they kind of portrayed him as one, but he's... he's kind of an everyman, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but his, I guess, main goal is that he has always wanted to talk to Amanda uh, or... Jennifer Love Hewitt. Who I keep whisper. wanting to call J-Lo. That's not really J-Lo. <laughs> That's J-Love. <laughs> but it doesn't sound right. Um... Uh, if I if I call her J Lo, no, that's who I'm referring to. Um, but that is that probably is my favorite scene of the movie where mm-hmm. he is talking to his best friend Denise, who is right. Lauren Ambrose, uh, who plays uh, I don't remember the name of the girl from Six Feet Under. Laura Claire Claire. Claire. Thank you. <laughs> um, Claire. I thought it was Brooke. Claire. Claire. I I know it is. <laughs> Um, she plays Claire, but this is before that. I think Six Feet Under started in 2004, I want to say? Maybe 2002. Um, and this was 1998. Um, so Preston and Denise are best friends. Yep. And Preston has a huge crush on Amanda, who is Jennifer Love Hewitt. He has been pining over this girl for four years. Yes. And my favorite scene in the movie is, it's, 
I think like the second scene of the movie right, right, where he where, describes uh-huh. um, the fateful morning. I love that scene. Yeah, yeah. The, the sort of fateful morning that uh, they they never really even met. The first this first morning that he saw her because she was a new student. I'm not entirely sure they've ever spoken. I know they definitely yeah. haven't. Fantastic. <laughs> um, and I think I liked it because the camera work and the lighting changes a lot. It becomes mm-hmm. a lot more theatrical. It looks kind yeah. of like a stage play. And, they um, don't show her face. Yeah, because you can tell that he it's it's, it's as he that. remembers it. Mm-hmm. And Six Feet Under does that a lot too, where the camera is very subjective. Like in Six Feet Under, a lot of times there are segments that you know, like what you're seeing is not literally what's happening. Mm-hmm. Like one of my favorite ones is after Claire loses her virgin- virginity, the night, the morning after, she goes and has breakfast with her family. And she's just smiling to herself, and suddenly they break out into like an old Hollywood style like dance number. <laughs> and you know that like literally it's not happening, but yeah. that's just sort of like how she feels. I love that. Um, and that was very similar to how they presented the scene of Preston sort of uh, it his blossoming crush. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's one sort of motive. That's one hook. Mm-hmm. The other one is Mike and Amanda. Ooh. Mm. So Mike is the big hotshot jock. Jock, asshole, douchebag, little meanie, bobini. I couldn't remember his name through most of it, so I just wrote down meanie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but essentially, he just broke up with Amanda because he is ready to go to college and meet mm-hmm. college women. Um, so the whole school is kind of devastated for Amanda. The whole party, when you first get there, everybody's whispering about, oh my god. Like, Amanda and Mike broke up. Like, Mm -hmm. oh my god, Amanda and Mike broke up. Um, So, he's kind of trying to convince his buddies to break up with their girlfriends. So, we have a single Amanda, a single Mike, and he's cruising. Yeah, he's convincing... He's trying to convince... Maybe you can uh, sort of enlighten me on this. He's trying to convince his friends who have girlfriends to break up with them so that they can sleep around, but, like... Why would you want to do that when you have, have someone like a- who likes you, who has sex with you whenever you want? I don't. But who likes you and who you have an emotional connection with. I think he's just kind of a douchebag. And yeah. he thinks that when he gets to college, he thinks they'll have like the whole summer for anybody that they want to get with. And then when they get to college, it'll be like, they won't be these like little girls. Like they won't be like immature and annoying. Yes. It's going to be college women. women. Yeah. So I think that's kind of his motive, which is... Similar to that, uh, we have um, Seth Green as Kenny. Mm-hmm. Have to reveal my anti-Seth Green bias Whoa. here. Whoa. Um, don't like him. I don't... I don't... <laughs> I have zero opinion. I don't remember what movies I've seen with him. I've never been like, wow, Seth Green. I didn't even know that that, like, that was his name. I just, like, know that, oh, Seth Green is in this movie. Um, yeah. So he is Kenny, who... He's How would like, you describe him? He is a suburban white boy who thinks he's gangster. Yeah, that's that's it. He's He wears gigantic parachute Jingo hands. Jingo jang, jingo yeah. jeans. Yes. Um, his <laughs> friend wears an upside-down visor. Love that. Um, which is actually kind of a look. Like, I kind of... Kind of sexy. I would, <laughs> like, kind of catch me this summer yeah. wearing that look. Upside-down visor does nothing to shield you from anything. <laughs> it holds the rain. <laughs> The rain just pools and then you lean forward, (laughs) pour it on top of someone. And he and his little small posse of two other guys uh, are trying to get laid. But Kenny is like full on, like to the point where 
modern parlance we would call it cringy because mm-hmm. he has like he has a backpack like filled with like it's like a small sex shop <laughs> like he has like lube and like hundreds candles hundreds as if like yes. i don't know <laughs> what he thinks is like little books and stuff um so he is sort of at the party looking to score but he's not normal he's very I don't even want to imitate the way he speaks because <laughs> I feel uncomfortable it's doing problematic. that. Yes. Um, um, actually, we'll insert a clip here so you can hear it. Hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully I can find the audio. They say here 92% of honeys at UCLA sexually active. 92% of women in Los Angeles at UCLA walking around going, class or sex? What shall I do? 92%, yo. You know what that means, don't you? Huh. That means I got some 92% chance of embarrassing myself. I roll up on that shorty like, what's up, yo? She be like, you don't know 20 different ways to make me call you Big Papa? Because I don't, yo. So that's sort of Kenny. And then the last um, the last plot line, which I think is um, probably the weakest. Yeah, it's, is, I don't like it. Uh, William and his and pair his, of nerds. His pair of nerds. Essentially, they want to get payback at Mite for tormenting them for ten years. Yes. Um, and so they hatch this kind of plan where William. The plan is extremely fucked up. The yeah. plan is sort of, um, I I forget this the specificities of it, but they're essentially gonna they camp out on top of the roof of like the pool shed at this house party that everyone's at. Mm-hmm. They plan to like jump down, chloroform Mike and the jocks, literally like chloroform them, then strip them naked while they're passed out and like make them like put them in like a sexual embrace. It feels very Heathers when they like find the yes. two jocks in the woods. Yeah. <laughs> I love my dead gay son. <laughs> Um, but they don't play it off the way Heather's does. No, like, if you Heather's, very... the whole sort of tone of that movie is like super dark, super satirical. Uh-huh. This one is it's just like, like, look at these crazy nerds. They're going to get revenge. But like, that's it's just sort of like sexual twisted, like, yeah. or assault. And they're going to take Polaroids of them. Um, and so that's their plan. So they get to the party. Two nerds are sitting on, on the, the roof. sitting on the roof, and then the they one send nerd William into the party. Yes, he's sort of gonna be the inside man. And they have like this whole plan, like this is how many drinks I can take, like have yes. to kind of like fit in. Uh-huh. But you know, I won't get too drunk. But he ends up getting absolutely wasted. Yes, and surprisingly, becomes the life of the party. Yes. <laughs> And that's, I think, what kind of made it feel kind of book smart to me, where all yeah. of the people from this high school kind of got together, and whether they were nerds right. or not, he in, kind in of the, like... In the right circumstances, everyone yeah. can sort of come together. Yeah. So, we're going to talk about the perfect date after, but there's a character in this, Denise, that I think would be sort of like the 90s analog to the cool girl. The cool girl who wears... <laughs> leather jacket right. and combat boots to a dress. But Denise in this movie is not like that. And no. I was I was thinking about it and I was thinking, why did I fucking despise Celia in the perfect date? Because she's trying to be what but I like, Denise uh, actually But is. I like Denise. It's that. It's that she's trying too hard. But it's also that Denise is just as self-deprecating. She's just as hard or harder on herself. Than she she is on on everyone everyone else. else. Yeah. Uh, But Celia thinks she's the greatest and shits on everyone else. Yeah. That's the thing. And so... I liked Denise. 
Yeah. <laughs> Denise is good. Lauren Ambrose, I think, is a great actress, and I haven't seen her in anything recently. But I, I think she's, she's on Broadway. I sh- or at one point, really? I think she got two Emmys. I did some research. I think she got two Emmys for. Um, she was in My Fair Lady, I think. Huh. Um, yeah. That is good to know. Because mm-hmm. I always liked her. She's great in Six Feet Under, which I have to finish. Um, and she's great in this, too. She had a cool style. Yeah, like, she's, she's felt... She's very charming. Cool. Yeah, she's she's just cool. I'd want to be friends with her, I think, if I was at the high school. So I also wrote down in my notes some things that I laughed at. Because, uh-huh. so for the record, usually we like to watch movies together. But mm-hmm. for the podcast, we watch them apart so that... Um, we sort of have fresh insights and because you can't resist like remarking upon stuff when you yeah. watch a movie with someone and I wanted to share some of the things that I laughed at because I laughed at some things and then I was like oh my god am I just like a modern stupid movie goer like <laughs> I laughed at a dumb movie joke <laughs> the thing that made me laugh I think the most was um, William's nerd friend as William is preparing to sort of infiltrate the party, one of his nerd friends just says, you know, William, in this light, you somewhat resemble David Duchovny. <laughs> and I think it was just the delivery of that line, as well as, like, just the weird sort of, like, damning with... <laughs> the specificity and, like, damning with faint praise that I thought was very funny. The... I would say the first half is kind of meandering. Yeah. Everyone just kind of wanders through the party. Mike tries to follow his friends around, trying to get them to break up with their girlfriends. Obviously, they don't want to. Mm-hmm. Um, what were you going to say? I was just going to say, the la- just one thing that made me giggle was the band Love Burger. Oh, the band? <laughs> <laughs> the band, I actually, I loved. I think the band was like, there are a few running jokes mm-hmm. that are not good, <laughs> um, that didn't make me laugh. Like, I think you were supposed to be laughing at Kenny when he was doing his whole, like, gangster thing. No. Every time I saw him on screen, I just went, Ugh. I mean, it, like, aged poorly, I guess. It aged yeah. really badly. Um, but as far as the band goes, the sort of running gag with the band is that they're the band that's going to be playing for this party, student band, um, but there's so much infighting <laughs> that they can't even, like, get through a single song. <laughs> And they have this whole arc, this fighting and then coming together arc that just sort of goes on throughout the backdrop of the party. I love that they, ca- <laughs> I love that they cast a Taika from What We Do in the Shadow as the main singer. They didn't, but he oh. was dressed like. Um... Oh yeah, he had the frill. Um, and another, the other running joke that I thought was executed well was that there's a kid in the background of a lot of scenes just stealing shit. I he's he's subtle in a lot of them but you see him just pick shit up and put it in his pockets <laughs> in several scenes and in the last scene they're in they're all in a diner and he picks up the gumball machine and just walks out with it <laughs> what did I, I know they, they like focus right on him so, i think i got the gumball one but anyway. so that was uh the other running joke that i think was done well so the first half of the movie is very much just sort of like Haha, ha, funny jokes. They're mm-hmm. also setting up. Preston is pretty much the main character for the yeah. first half. He's trying to find Amanda and give her this letter that right. has that, his love. That basically says everything that she wants to hear. Yeah. Yeah. You are not just Mike's girlfriend. There's an amazing person underneath all that, and I want to get to know you, and you're beautiful and all that. Um, so he's trying to uh, find her and give it to her. 
Amanda is trying to fend off advances from all the creepy guys at the party. Including her second cousin. Yep, her second cousin <laughs> who um, forcefully kisses her very creepily. I hated that a lot. Yeah. Oh my god, the other, <laughs> the other running joke that I really loved is um, the sort of... The party is just thrown by this one girl mm -hmm. who's just like, I invited everyone. Everyone come spend a night. Like, my parents are out of town. I have a huge fancy house. And she's playing the good hostess at first. But th throughout the party, you just see her become, become more disheveled. <laughs> she becomes just slowly insane as these kids are just wrecking her house, going into all the places she said not to go. Um, and by the end, she's absolutely lost her shit. And I, I felt very much for her. Oh, one of the running things that I didn't like was Melissa Joan Hart and her dumb little yearbook. Yeah. I hated that. So, basically, do you, do you want to explain that? It was just Melissa Joan Hart, the Sabrina the Teenage Witch herself, um, was, she just, the entire movie was just her begging people to sign her That yearbook. was her only character. That was it. That yeah. was absolutely it. Blonde pigtails. Guys, can you please tell me one of the memories? Um, yes. That was it. it and... Just, they were really... This movie is not subtle. <laughs> Very few things about 90s teen movies are subtle. Including the camera work. Holy shit. For some reason, I associate... <laughs> I associate the 90s with this word. Extreme, but without the E at the beginning. Yes, 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 yes. yes. And the X, like... Extreme! And, like, the part of the X, like, is, like, really It's, like, long. ripped, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh... Yeah, so we get that classic 90s coked up camera work. There's this spin fade that just like, oh my god, they spin. I think they spin. I think they're, it's, the camera is above everyone, like overlooking the balcony, but either way, they spin into the next scene. And for some reason, <laughs> the, the transition almost made me lose my lunch. We get that, that delightful um, camera work. But the one thing I did like was that Amanda is like the cheer captain, she's the prom queen, um, and she's normal. She's just a regular person. Yeah. Um, they very easily could have made her a bitch, a blonde, like popular she's, girl. She's very like calm, and even though she's part of like this popular circle, mm -hmm. she she's doesn't like, like uh, she doesn't speak that way. Yeah. And she doesn't have those same ideas even just like the girls that kind of hang out with her that mm -hmm. are her friends are definitely that 90s stereotype yes. teen girl lip gloss oh my god yeah. what a batch um and she just doesn't really belong to that at all yeah she's just like kind empathetic mm -hmm. and i really appreciated that because um it's for some reason movies are incapable of presenting the popular girl as That's a just... kind person which has always been so strange to me because the reason someone is popular is because, because people like hanging like, out, with yeah. them, out with them so like at our school like the people that were popular were like generally well-liked people yeah. i mean obviously there are some assholes and movies for some reason have it in their head that like it's all clicks i guess yeah clicks are i think this movie aged poorly partly because like Clicks just aren't really a thing anymore. I mean, yeah. we can sort of speak to this as former, you know, we're current teenagers. Yeah. We're 19. Still. Just barely hanging on. On the brink. On the brink. But uh, clicks, I don't feel like we're big in no, high school. Not really. There was like, 
athlete. Yeah, but that like that I kind of get because they're on your team. You spend a lot of your time with them. Yeah, there was like the future nursing students, but like <laughs> that's kind of it. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the older teen movies really are unwilling to let go of the idea of clicks and mm-hmm. even Booksmart. The parts where I thought Booksmart didn't get high school right yeah. I thought it got a lot of things right but the part where I thought it didn't get stuff right was that they still How hung on to this was. Yeah, yeah this weird click idea that you didn't that you don't interact with people outside your click right and that's just not how it is anymore um for whatever reason I don't know so there are some places that I think this movie does break out a little tiny bit mm-hmm. um and my favorite scene i think that embodies that is uh the stripper angel yes do you want to talk about that okay so essentially preston is is this the first has how many times did he leave the party twice twice so the first time that he leaves the party he um he sees okay so he um amanda's creepy cousin comes on to her right and preston walks in right at that moment and he thinks oh my chances are done she has a new boyfriend or whatever he leaves the party in despair (laughs) so he leaves the party and he's listening to the radio and uh it's like a barry manilow (laughs) like marathon okay first of all can i just say another thing i laughed at was the the disc jockey on the radio is just like, and we've got the man, hello, himself. <laughs> the I just appreciated that. Okay. Um, and he was kind of having like a Q&A, like you could call in and speak to Perry Manilow yeah. in Japan. Yeah, he was having a sold out concert and before the concert, <laughs> he was answering questions. Right. So, um... Preston, the kind of the idea of fate kind of surrounds this movie yes, a lot. Yes, that is very much the heavy-handed theme. Yes, of and this movie. Um, it means like a lot to Preston. So I think earlier in the movie they were listening to the radio before they got to the party. It was and playing Mandy. It was it was playing Mandy, and apparently it's like about his dog. But <laughs> that's what De- Denise. So Preston said, "Oh my God, this is a sign that I'm going to get with Amanda." And Denise yep. said, "No, this is about his dog." <laughs> um, and he's saying, "No, it's fate. It's a sign." Yeah. So essentially, he leaves the party, he's listening to Barry Manilow in his car, and he gets inspired to call and talk to Barry Manilow and be like, how, you know, what do I do? Like, I love this girl. And so he's at, like, a... Payphone. Yeah. Payphone. So he's at a payphone. And in, like, a, like, the, um... A diner parking yeah, lot? Yeah, a diner parking lot, yeah. And before he can make the call... Well, so... So, <laughs> so uh... So for us, this is kind of a foreign concept because payphones now, like a lot of them, just straight up don't work. Yeah. Um. So he's putting in his quarters, trying to get in, mm-hmm. and um, oh, he gets he gets in. To yeah. So because you have to be <clears throat> the nth call or whatever. Yeah. So he has the, his fistful of quarters. He keeps trying to be the call that will get in. Mm-hmm. So finally, he gets in. He says, "Is Barry there?" And the guy's like, "Yep, you're on the air." So just as he's about to ask his question, this woman. Reaches her hand in and hangs up. Because she, um... And she's dressed like an angel. Stripper. (laughs) She's a stripper who's dressed as an angel, and she... Her car broke down, and she just wants to call a taxi. Yes. He's devastated, because he just wants to talk to Barry. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they kind of make this little connection, and Mm -hmm. they start talking. uh, Because she feels kind of bad that she ruined his chances. 
Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of where I really like this part, too. It did not feel like a 90s movie. It felt yes. very... I don't know. But it, it was like a nice little connection that you don't really see with just like this adult, just this grown woman having this conversation with this sad chap kid. Um, and they kind of have a conversation about fate. And how she used to be in love with this one actor. I did not remember his yeah, name. Yeah, I totally forget. I'm sure it was like a prevalent show at the time, but yeah. I have no idea. Um, and, you know, she heard that he was coming to her little town. And she's like, oh my god, this is fate. You know, I, he's coming to the mall. I have to meet him. And she is the first one in line. And he sees her and he says hi to her. And she just chokes. She chokes. And so she kind of gives him this little lesson about fate and just going for it. Um... And she thinks that he wants to go for Barry Manilow. Yeah, she thinks that he's in love with uh, Barry Manilow the way she was in love with this actor. Right. Um, I just, I loved it because that little interaction is just, it's everything I love in the movies, but also in life. Just sudden, strange, meaningful, and fleeting connections. Yes, precisely. I just, with with others, with strangers. Mm -hmm. Yes. I love that. Yeah. Um, I love when movies represent that well. Mm-hmm. And this was just, th- that scene felt like a weird little oasis, partly because we were actually out of the party. Right. So the... It felt very, like, not necessarily is this a dream, but, you know, she's a guardian angel. She's yeah. coming to <laughs> Right. It just feels very like, where are we? What's going on? And the cinematography, too. I mean, the house where the party is is, is big, mm-hmm. um, but it is an enclosed space. And this feels like open. It's nighttime. They're the yeah. only people a there. A breath of fresh air. Yeah. And, you know, the every scene at the party is just filled with people. Um, and this is just, there's no one in the parking lot. Um, it's... 2 a.m. I think they say mm-hmm. um and I loved that she was co- sort of the embodiment of adult reality yeah um crashing in she's a stripper and she said like and this uh, Preston says oh you wouldn't believe the night I had you, yeah how, who are you to hang up on a kid when yeah I've had it the terrible night she's like I've had guys groping my boobs for three hours yep. and my car I'm broke down, down and I'm in debt or whatever it is that she says <laughs> Um, and then you can tell me that you had a bad night. Yeah. And I kind of love that as she sort of softens up and, and realizes, like, that was a shitty thing to do. I like it because she as she is the embodiment of the adult world and mm. adult problems, but they come to an understanding and it doesn't feel like he realizes that his problems are nothing. No. It feels like the movie acknowledging that, like, for a small second that like yeah we realize these problems aren't like legit like oh whether like amanda and mike are gonna get back (laughs) together like we know these are not huge problems but like this is what's in these kids lives right now and it feels incredibly like profound to them right now it and it feel like it was a nice age for us to watch this movie because Mm -hmm. we're kind of in between those two things yeah we graduated high school we've had a bit of real life like i feel like i could be like my car broke down like i feel like (laughs) i could feel that real life yeah um so i feel like it was kind of nice to relate to both of them and to feel both sides of that um that was nice because we are i mean we are still chilling but Mm -hmm. As in children. <laughs> but, um, I, yeah, I felt like 
it was an interesting perspective to have to kind of sit between that line and to see how they blend those lines together in the movie too. Mm-hmm. And that I think kind of marks the two halves of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, one note I made was Sylvie and I are the pair of stoners, except we're totally sober because <laughs> there's this pair of stoners that they're on screen for like maybe a minute um, as uh, basically, uh, through this wild chain of events, Amanda gets Preston's letter, even though he intended to throw it out. Through mm-hmm. fate, she gets the letter, and she's trying to find him. Um, and so she asks this pair of stoners, like, oh, do you know what Preston looks like? And they're totally unhelpful. <laughs> um, but then they just start talking, and it literally sounded like a like a conversation we've had before. Because one of the kids says to the other, you know who else I liked who never got much play? Velma from Scooby-Doo. <laughs> she was a hip, hip lady. I was like, that literally sounds like it was pulled straight from our mouths. You're absolutely not wrong. But so there's this moment where uh, Amanda has her sights set on Preston now. And um, she basically tells Mike off because Mike is super drunk. He tries to get her back. And then he tries to sort of um, nag her in front of the whole school and say, like, yeah. you're never going to have another boyfriend, blah, blah, blah. Um, and she tells him off and everyone's sort of rooting for her. And then she leaves to go find Preston. But that moment felt cheapened because immediately after someone, oh. someone yells fag and that's what makes the whole school start laughing. Yeah. And it wasn't even that, like, oh, homophobic or whatever. Like, yes, obviously it's homophobic. But it felt cheapened because, like, that was the reason they were laughing at him. Not because he was such a douche and he just yeah. showed his true colors. It was because somebody yelled a slur at him, which was lame. lame. And I feel like this movie, in certain ways, like, is kind of almost afraid to, like, let that moment linger. Like, you have to, like... Shout the slur. I also just feel like that's an embodiment of like the '90s and like teens and '90s. No, too. but it's also I think it's it's some movies are just like that. That's mm. what I think. I mean, because uh, something else I wanted to bring up was that it feels like the inevitable romance. So the other yeah. sort of plot is that Everybody's Kenny, pairing up. Kenny and Denise are through another chain of events, stuck in a bathroom together. Mm-hmm. And uh, it turns out that they used to be childhood friends and they grew apart for whatever reason. And as they're stuck in a bathroom that they can't get out of, and they're, they're upstairs. And nobody's allowed to go upstairs because no, so nobody can hear them to get them out. Exactly. So um, as they're stuck up there, they sort of hash out what happened between them. Mm-hmm. Um, and through that, they sort of like, oh, remember when we were young and you did this and you said this and I told someone this about you. And Kenny kind of lost all of his, like, dumb yeah. stuff. He became himself again. He wasn't talking. He wasn't his, pretending to be somebody else. Yeah, all his uh, affectations fall away because Denise is being like really earnest and real. And uh, another thing that I think embodies that same thing that I don't know how to quite describe is that the movie, they wind up having sex and then they wind up pairing up. And I almost feel like the movie's just afraid of like Having those friendships? Yeah, having an earnest sort of moment instead of railroading it into humor or romance. Everything has to go in one of those two directions. But it could have been like a nice, fleeting, necessary moment just like Preston had with the angel. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it wasn't. Um, So Denise and Kenny get together. And I thought it was a really good subplot until they were together. Mm -hmm. Um, Because then... 
I don't know. It felt cheapened. Uh, they, they're they not good together. I surprisingly prefer them to Preston and Amanda. Agree. Yeah. Um, but they're also not good together. No. <laughs> so they have sex in this bathroom. And Denise says... She's like... Uh, could last a longer or something like that. Or like, yeah. next time it'll probably... But she's not saying it, like, with that. No, So she right. basically says, like, oh, like, we've never done it before, so, like, it's always, like, kind of awkward when you're... Yeah. When you, like, have sex with a new person, so, like, next time, like, it could last longer or something. Kenny is, like, super offended. He goes yeah. straight back to his stupid affectation. And then at the end, Kenny drives up to her and he apologizes and Denise apologizes too, and I that sort of stuck in my craw a little bit because I was like, "What are you apologizing for? for? You were being communicative." I think like maybe when they were going back and forth, she started to become like she was actually like targeting insults at him. Okay, I think that's what was happening, and she felt bad for that. But he deserved. Yeah. Um, one thing I wrote down was, "Tell me who braided Seth Green's hair and how." <laughs> And why have the braids never fallen away? Why is it just the tiniest, shortest braids? I hate it. I hate it. Um, So the last sort of resolution is with William and Mike Mike. and the general sort of public of the party. Because William becomes the life of the party. Exactly. Girls are like waiting to like get with him. Go into the makeout room. (laughs) Um, He like becomes kind of like the star. He's singing, like he's dancing on tables. Everybody's like, go William. Uh Um, But then we kind of see the, how much control Mike has, I guess, over this like kid's life and how like they, they kind of like become buddies again. Or yeah, not, they become buddies for like a moment. Yes, there's this great moment. They're both extremely drunk. Yeah. And Mike has this apology and he's like, I'm sorry for like everything I did to you. Mm-hmm. And William, who's also super drunk, says, No man, it's okay, it's okay. There's this great moment that is disrupted by the police basically breaking up this party and everyone's gathering. But the ending. But the ending. So <laughs> But the ending. But the ending. So they become kind of friends. They both get like arrested. Um mm-hmm. but Mike convinces They are caught. Yeah. Everyone else scatters, they are caught. And so drinking. Mike kind of convinces the police officers that it was his fault. Like he, you know, oh my god, and we forgot. The nerds essentially like they meant to just get Mike and do like the prank that they were supposed to do, but yes. they got the both of them and I didn't realize until they saw the Polaroids, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. But the cops basically were like, what is this grotesque scene of these yeah. two men? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and so they take him to the police station and Mike kind of confesses. He he says that it was all like his fault. Like, you know, he forced Will to drink this much. Yeah. He kind of puts the blame on him. And at the end, everybody, I like, I kind of like the ending and how everybody was congregating at the diner because it felt very yeah. real. Like everybody in our school after like events went to the diner. Totally. Yeah. Like we didn't, but <laughs> other But we've been. <laughs> we've been. <laughs> but it just felt like real like the yes. d- night after this graduation party the morning was, after that's what I meant <laughs> the morning after this graduation party everybody's at this diner yeah um and Will goes to Mike and he like sees him in the window he like walks up to him and says oh you know like thanks so much for like letting me off the hook like mm-hmm. it really means a lot that you covered for me um and Mike. Mike acts like nothing ever happened. He yep. acts like they were never friends, like they didn't have that nice moment together. And just insults him. And just insults him. Yeah. And it sucks. And then they have these... I don't really know 
Do you know if there's an actual like cinematic term for something that our dear listeners will realize quickly is that we are not knowledgeable. (laughs) (laughs) We are knowledgeable of that. We have a lot of ideas and emotions, Mm. but we don't know a lot of words about things. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) When it comes to movies, I refuse to use the term mise-en-scene because I don't know what the (laughs) fuck it means. So, basically... There's a thing that some movies do that, like, 20 years later, blah, 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 blah. And this movie does it, too. There's a freeze frame Mm -hmm. on specific people at the diner, and it sort of says their fate, what happened to them. Um, A little blurb or two of text on the screen saying what happens to these people. So William gets this blurb that says, William became a multimillionaire, and he's dating a supermodel. And Mike gets... Uh, Mike is overweight and got uh, uh, he was drinking too much in college, so he lost his football scholarship, and and now he sucks, and um, uh, he lost his job because there were some like incriminating Polaroids, which is like I don't like that. That makes me feel yucky. Um, and then I wish they had done more with the Denise and Kenny thing, Mm -hmm. because they kind of (laughs) just they kind of just (laughs) say that like. They broke up, then they, they got, got back, back together, together, but like, yeah. who cares? Yeah, uh, and then the sort of thing is that Amanda and Preston are still together to this day. The, they basically got together in the end. Yeah. Um, and I didn't like that. Yeah. I didn't, I thought that was cheap, and it almost felt like, like a fantasy, I guess. Like, the mm-hmm. writers were like, and then the kid who bullied me got fat and stupid. <laughs> like, that's not how real life works. I totally would have liked it better if Preston and Amanda didn't get together. And, like, yeah. he just went on to, like, his Kurt Vonnegut workshop, which I was like, I forget that authors aren't all dead. <laughs> um, well, he's dead now. Well, you, but at the time. Yeah. But anyway, um... Yeah, I wish, I feel like it would have felt more meaningful and real if he just never did get with her. If, like, it's it's his own goddamn fault. Four years he's never spoken to this girl in his life. Right. She doesn't even know it's who not, he is or what he looks like. Fault. It's no, his no, no, fault. No, no, no. It's his fault. So I feel like he's not even, like, deserving of getting with her And in the, the movie end. tries to sort of get you to think, like, no, fate has a way of bringing stuff together, but then you have to make that next step. But it's kind mm-hmm. of like, now fuck the fate stuff altogether. Do whatever yeah. you do whatever you want. Um, and uh, so I think the way I would describe Can't Hardly Wait is that it, it shies away from some genuine moments mm-hmm. with, you know, homophobia and humor <laughs> and, <laughs> and inevitable sex and romance, which yeah. is just ugh, boring and cheap. Um, give us friendships <laughs> give us friendships and now we're going to take a short break and then we will talk about our next movie mm-hmm. and during this short break I'm going to sing a libretto Thank you for that. Um, So I think it's time to talk about our next movie. Mm -hmm. 
the 2019 Netflix original. Oh, with Noah Zetaneo himself. With, oh, I have, the, I have the cast right here. Starring, directed by Chris Nelson. Starring Noah Centineo, Laura Marano. From Ally and Austin Alley. From <laughs> Disney Zone. Odysseus Georgiadis. I'm so sorry. <gasps> oh and Matt Walsh. <laughs> the Perfect Date, 2019. God damn it, where do we even begin? <laughs> um, with the credits, Awesomeness TV. You were never Awesomeness like TV. a surveyor of YouTube in the beginning. No. Um, what is the, Awesomeness the story? TV is essentially, it used to be like this YouTube channel that brought together like all of these kind of like fuckboys of YouTube at one point. And like these like like Vine stars and like people from Vine and like YouTube people and they like put them in movies and it's always, or like... Yeah. Really? And they, like, have, like, they, it used to just be, like, YouTube. They had a show at one point, like, on Nickelodeon. It was very, it was almost, like, iCarly-esque. Um, wow. And it was, like, yeah, it was really, really weird. And That's they, very weird. <laughs> and they, like, have their own studios, and they have other movies, and they all suck. I thought it was just, like, a teen production company. Yeah, they take a lot of, like... Is that what YouTube Noah Centineo's background is? No. He okay. really came out of nowhere, but he is yeah. in... He be, he is, for some reason, the it boy now, which I hate. Yes. But whatever, we'll get to that later. <laughs> Noah Centineo and all the lo- and all the girls he's loved before. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so... I will do the synopsis of this. <laughs> Basically, ahead. the IMDb sort of Cliff's Notes synopsis... Um, Boy wants to get into Ivy League college. Boy creates boy commissions app. <laughs> boy commissions app that lets him act as sort of like a stand-in for dates and mm-hmm. events in order to get money for college. He falls in love with the woman, the girl who started the whole idea of it mm-hmm. when he is asked to take her out, escort her to a formal ball, to a formal yeah, she goes to like Prom? a happy school, so they have formals every other minute. Yeah, it's it's a teen romance. That's that's kind of it. Uh, weirdly, the plot is kind of complex. <laughs> There's kind of a lot going on. There's a few different, and I think that's kind of one of my issues with it. Mm-hmm. They couldn't really figure out a conflict, so they just threw all of it in there. I they were like, say. he wants to get to college. <clears throat> he's in love. He has a friend, but he's a bad friend. <laughs> he has a dad, but he he's a bad son. <laughs> I think it's just like poor writing and yes. they just they couldn't have written like a simple, well done movie, so they did a complex bad one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, the college thing is that colleges are a big part of this movie. Mm-hmm. Noah Brooks Radigan. Ew. The guy's name, the protagonist's name, is Brooks. Brooks. <laughs> Brooks Radigan. I... I'm not making that up. It sounds like a... <laughs> You're so upset. I'm so upset. It makes me so upset. It doesn't sound like a real person. It sounds like a TA. It sounds like, it sounds like a Wattpad like, fanfic. Pen name. Yeah. It sounds like a TA who touches your butt. <laughs> <laughs> like an English TA. It sounds like sociology tutor yes who gets drunk every other day yes 
Brooks Radigan. I'm sorry I spent so much time on that, but like, no, it's ridiculous. You can't just move past the fact that they named their protagonist. I and I I I repeat I repeat again. <laughs> Brooks Radigan. Brooks Radigan. No, I will be calling him Noah. Or um, thick neck Noah. Next to what you're looking at, I'm gonna back that bitch like a Cadillac. <laughs> he's got a thick neck. He's got a thick neck. And that's that's not a slang. He literally has a a large neck. No, his neck is so <laughs> thick. So really um, anyway, basically, Brooks Radigan really wants to go to Yale. Um, which I'm sorry, we will get to the movie at some point. It's so difficult for me to separate. Noah Centineo. Okay, I'm glad and you mentioned it. Because because the casting of this movie leaves a bit to be desired because, okay, I don't know Noah Centineo as oh, a man. I'll tell you. But Noah Centineo has big, dumb energy. He's, oh, I'll have, <laughs> I have receipts. He's the biggest dummy in the whole world. I have tweets from him. And because... they cast him as a guy who's effortlessly smart and slick. And he just doesn't really pull it off. No, he's a big boy dummy. Hold on. I'm trying to find some um, some tweets from him because some of them I just... I don't think he's just such a dummy. Read them. Um, <laughs> Please read them. Okay. I don't know a lot, but what I do know is... Dot, dot. My baby sends me better music than your baby. <laughs> Makes it sound like he has an infant that gives his mixtapes. Um, <laughs> there's there's better ones. What the hell? Oh, this is a weird one. There are so many variables that go into it. But if you've if if you've ever felt like they're they aren't fulfilling their role as your lover or partner, and these feelings have been recurring for months, then it probably isn't the birth control that's making you feel this way. <laughs> Choose you, heart emoji. What the fuck? He's up. It's like a predictive keyboard. It's, it makes no... It's a blessing and a curse to look behind the curtain. Is he the producer <laughs> of the Truman Show? <laughs> no, said today was the Wizard of Oz confirmed. He did a poll where he asked if he looks like a... Th- the, <laughs> like a thick-necked boy? The two options for the th- for the poll were thumb, like he looks like a thumb, no, or da boy human, and then everybody <laughs> said fifty two percent said he looks like a da boy human because yeah, he doesn't look says, like a thumb. To be fair, and see his bruh, who out here looking who who out here thinking I look like a thumb? Cry laughing emoji. I gotta know. <laughs> so. Anyway. So that's our that's our leading man, ladies and gents. Um, <laughs> okay, back to colleges. <laughs> so what I'm saying is, it's difficult for me to see him as a Yale. Um, yeah, attendee. it's a little bit, as we say in the D and D world. Oh wow, it breaks the immersion. Mm. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So basically, his reasoning for wanting to go to go to Yale, and I copied this down verbatim. <clears throat> his his father, by the way is a professor at uh, University of Connecticut, Yukon. And his father obviously doesn't want to pay a gigantic Ivy League tuition when mm-hmm. he could go to school for free at a good college. And his dad is a, um, he used to be a writer. Yes. He's kind of like in a rut. Mm-hmm. So this is what uh, our boy Brooks Radigan says. <laughs> and this is, this is, by the way, this is in the first scene of the film. 
Yukon is the girl down the street who eats food in bed and smells like it. Yale is, she's smart. She's stylish, but not flashy. She's cultured, speaks multiple languages, probably knows how to sail. You get accepted by her. That means you're somebody special. So basically he doesn't <laughs> understand how colleges work. He basically, it's basically just insecurity and elitism. Yeah, he doesn't I actually value education. No. Doesn't know what he wants to do with his life other than he wants to quote unquote change the world. Um, I hate that. I hate that. I hate that. I hate that. What on earth are you doing? What are you bringing to the table? Ha ha ha. You're going to tweet some more? I don't, it, you didn't make the app, you little dumb boy. It's not like he has some kind of talent where he is like an app, a software, a software, a software <laughs> person he just sucks and he can take girls out on dates and he can pretend to be somebody he's not he has no talent we'll get to this sucks anyway we'll get to what all of that means <laughs> but yeah so so this guy is introduced as so his guidance counselor basically says well you've got the grades which we, we take one look at noah centineo's face and we say really does he, he does okay Right. Sure. And we, and we look say. at we look at his eyes, which are just sort of <laughs> sort of glazed over and vaguely hooded, and we say, "Oh, he he does have have the grades, I guess." Okay, I guess I'll just have to suspend that little bit of disbelief. <laughs> um, so apparently, he's got the grades to go to Yale, right. but he uh, really needs to work on his essay on what sets him apart, and he's terrible at writing essays. And there might be a few other nitpicks like this because. We are fresh from the college admissions process. Um, and every time he drafts the essay, he starts it out by saying, Dear Yale Office of Admissions, that's not how applying for colleges work. You don't write a physical letter anymore. Yeah. And that's, he's typing it up on his computer like, to whom it may concern. He's like, that's <laughs> not how it works. No. You apply online as part, like, the... the application is basically like a package yeah. that's sent so it has your name on it already <laughs> whatever the sort of first conflict that we're introduced to is that he is contemptuous brooks radigan by the way uh, <laughs> is is contemptuous of his dad uh who's matt walsh who is dad typed Mm. That is an actor who is dad-typed. Yeah. Um, he was the dad in Brigsby Bear, which is, if you get a chance to watch it, that's definitely a good uh, film. But he is contemptuous of his dad for taking a teaching job after a failure, I guess, getting into a rut in, in publishing slash writing. And he blames his mom for leaving him because uh, he didn't, quote-unquote, chase after his cowgirl. Ew. He didn't get back up on the horse and chase after her. He Why would just you want to chase after somebody that left you? Yeah. And he doesn't seem to understand how relationships work. You don't yeah. like... It's not like you didn't chase her and wrangle her back. Like, oh, she, she made the go. Yeah, she made the decision to leave. As far as acting goes, I expect the acting to be worse than it was. Yeah. The worst, the worst actor is a character we don't hear much from, Reese. He's basically the rich... He's basically the reason our romantic leads come together. The rich, um, like, hipster boy. Not the hipster. The oh, guy with the car. <gasps> oh, yeah. That mafia kid, car. His line delivery... Was despicable. Is... And he like, shouts every line. It makes 
makes no sense. Like, nothing he says makes sense either. Like, yeah. oh, you want to drive my car, huh, little twerp? Like, what? <laughs> Why are you... Yeah, it, it's, it's very he's like odd. a Tesla or something. He has, like, a very fancy, fancy car. Yeah, so, um, basically, uh, that's conflict number one. That's not really the main conflict of the movie. Main conflict of the movie, introduced in scene number two, uh, Brooks and his friend Murph... Uh, are at... Love Murph, by the way. Yes. I, oh my god. I, hold on. I literally... I have like a whole thing Murph where I go... Murph played by Odysseus Georgiadis. I go, gay? Question mark? Murph? And then I go, yes, gay! Murph! It's <laughs> <laughs> like your lizard brain. <laughs> um, they basically work at like a subway knockoff. And... When he kissed Murph's neck, he got... He eliminated toxic masculinity. Who? <laughs> Noah. He like got really excited about something because he like agreed to um like make the app or something and he like kisses Murph's neck like he I hugs him and he, kisses, and he kisses his neck and I was like oh my god this man single handedly eliminates so he's got a hot heavy over here <laughs> but uh so he works with his friend Murph and <clears throat> it is in this scene as they are at work that we get the introduction to sort of the main conflict or I would call it I would call it the gateway conflict because it is the conflict that gets resolved but it makes way for a larger conflict <laughs> Um, there's probably a word for that, but as we said, we don't know movie stuff. Uh, Portugal's from Jersey, just trying to make it in the big leagues. We're just trying to sit in our car other people pump our cars. It's Jersey's only defining characteristic. <laughs> so, basically, Brooks, who is thick neck Noah Centineo, <laughs> working at a sandwich shop. Yes, he agrees to escort rich dude's cousin to a formal so that rich dude can stay home and boink his girlfriend. But he doesn't even agree. He asks because yes, rich boy comes because he in, wants to drive his car. Rich boy comes into the into the diner and uh, into the su- subway, sub yeah. sub. It's called sub sub. <laughs> it's called sub sub. <laughs> um and he, the rich boy is complaining about taking his cousin. Yeah, his cousin. Which is weird to this dance because he wants to boink his girlfriend. Yes. And so Noah just wants to get paid because he's going to get paid. Yes, because they make a point several times of saying that Noah's Brooks Radigan is poor. From what we see, he is living in a nice suburban two-floor, three-bedroom house. He's not poor. And it, like he oh, drives, he's, and he's also living on one parent's salary, so like it has to be like something significant. Yeah, like dog. he drives, he drives a beater, but he's in high school. Everyone yeah, drives beaters, yeah. unless you're in our town when jinkies, everyone drives jinkies, 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 jinkies. <laughs> yeah, like oh uh, yeah, yikes, <laughs> where everyone drives Audis because their parents are rich. But yeah, so they say several times he's poor, but he he isn't. I mean, <laughs> I guess because showing actual poverty would have to it would force them to actually confront an issue. <laughs> Too real. <laughs> Too real for for neck Noah. So basically Brooks agrees because he wants to get paid and he also wants to drive a rich dude's nice car. Next scene, we are introduced to Celia, who is the cousin. She is caustic, sarcastic. She wears a leather jacket and boots. Oh my gosh, whoa. And she also sounds like she has a constant head cold. She's so cool. Cool girl is cool. Like, I don't know if you guys know, but 
She's cool. She doesn't care. So she gets, okay, first of all, she's a dick to her parents. So she throws a tantrum because she doesn't want to wear high heels. Okay, fine, whatever. And so she gets into the car and is like, are you the guy that they hired to accompany me because I'm so cool and weird? Uh, she sounds like she has a cold the entire movie. She sounds like she's she's holding phlegm in the back of her throat. And she directs Noah, Brooks, Brooks, I'm, I'm saying Brooks. She directs Brooks to drop her off at a cafe bookstore instead of at her high school for the dance because- Cool girl loves books. Because cool girl loves books. Um, but he convinces her to go to the dance. Right. The only plus that I was able to pinpoint about the dance scene was that it was pretty realistic. Yeah. In terms of... <laughs> For no, two girls that didn't go to any school dance. <laughs> no, nobody was dancing. There were lots of people clumped together taking Instagram photos. Yeah. And I was like, okay, that's actually... They actually got that one right. Mm-hmm. Um, Brooks co- coaxes Celia to dance, of course. Um, and then a slow song comes on, of course. So they wind up dancing together, of course. He steps on her shoe. Side note. Oh. In Mia's ideal rom-com, yeah. which would subvert all of the rom-com cliches that I hate so much. Mm. When the slow song comes on, mm. the two romantic leads would just fucking bust out. Oh. They would just go crazy dancing, like totally not to the tempo. Yep, yep, yep. That's so much more romantic and fun. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> but Noah Centineo <laughs> is so much taller than Laura Morano that she's just staring at his shoulder while they dance. <laughs> and I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> Celia is okay so there's a huge discrepancy in how the movie wants us to think of Celia and how mm-hmm. she actually comes off they want us to be like what Denise was like in yeah. Can't Hardly Wait funny um, smart kind of sarcastic cool like cool. actually cool charming what she actually comes off is is unfunny childish cruel rude douchebag as as they're driving back from the dance because she pretends to to sprain her ankle, her ankle. She, they pass. This is actually gonna come. Okay. Oh my god, I have things. This uh-huh. is this is actually gonna come up later, which is the only reason I mention it. They pass uh, street art, and the street art is basically just various people wearing gas masks, and f- somehow they all know that the street artist is called Trash Bug. It's basically a Banksy rip, and Celia comments. I'm so glad you have a quote. He's just some bored, privileged white dude. I know it. And oh, in my more else I'm about. and in my mind, I said, "And you're a bored, privileged, like, rich like white girl. girl. You you have no right to to rip <laughs> on other people. You're extremely rich, bored, rude, stupid, and cruel." She <laughs> says, "She says, oh, street art, street art. It's like a disservice to like yeah. society. What the fuck? I thought she was supposed to be the." cool girl wouldn't you be like oh like cool like street art like somebody's like going out there and like yeah. making stuff and making art she completely takes a dump on it yeah why does she think she's cooler than street art at, at some point brooks says wow you have such a talent to just ruin every moment and i thought he he said that <laughs> as sarcastically but i like literally that That's is true. what celia does and at every scene she's in she just 
sucks all the air out of it. And I wish I, I haven't seen the actress in anything else, so I don't know. Oh, I for the whole dance scene, I was waiting for do the for her to do the Austin and Allie dance. I know Mia doesn't know what it is. I really know what it is, but it stinks out. Every, whoever, whoever, <laughs> all my little kids who watched Austin and Allie, this one's for you, baby. Yeah, she's not great. She sucked in that really, really bad. So it's partly she's not a good actress. Mm -hmm. So I feel like she lacked the charm to actually make it endearing. Mm -hmm. um, sure. But also because they wrote her as kind of a cruel person. Yeah. And even an actress with a lot of charm and a lot of charisma, the lines still come off surprisingly sharp and rude. Mm -hmm. So at the dance, Celia, before she uh, demands to go home because she pretends to sprain her ankle, pretends to be Brooks's girlfriend to cockblock him from, from Shelby. And I think she's kind of like typecasted because she's Maddie's little rich girl, like yeah. everything. Yeah, definitely. So now we get into the where the sort of all the advertising and the title comes from. After that whole experience um, is when what gives Brooks the idea to make this app called alternatively. Sometimes they call it stand-in. Sometimes they call it the stand-in. Um, I never, I remember, I never <laughs> I that title. a lot of copious notes on this. <laughs> but Brooks' best friend Murph is infinitely more charismatic, interesting. And a way better actor than Noah Centineo. Oh, on Perfect Date, but with Murph. And it's just him and Sandwich Shop Boy, whom he has a crush on and remembered his order and it was very uncomfortable. Like, Whatever, God bless. So he is the gay best friend. It is cliche. But for some reason, they go out of their way to say that he's gay, dyslexic. <laughs> he's, a pro he's a programmer, which is like, we don't need all these details, but we get them. Um, but he does a way better job with the stupid lines that he was given yeah, than Noah sure. Centineo does. Oh I my god. Like uh, he really makes Murph endearing. Prince of Connecticut, king of Reddit. Because they like got the yeah. app to go viral. Ew. Yeah. So basically, through a, a week or a night of coding, whatever, they make this app that will allow women to ask... Uh, to order dates like you'd order like, food on Grubhub. Pretty not much. explain it. Yeah. And so my question about the app is who the fuck would use it? Right? Because, okay, the only request they show that makes sense is a doubles tennis tournament. And that, <laughs> that I get. It's like, oh my God, like my, my tennis partner yeah, is yeah. sick, injured, whatever, or I don't have one and I really want to do it. That I understand. But even then it's like, he doesn't really know how to play tennis. He's yeah. pretending. So, and how would you know that this person knows how to play tennis? Like, I don't. Right. And with the weirdness of it, and the amount of costumes he buys, oh there's no way it would actually be profitable. He, I swear to God, there's a whole montage scene where he was like in the cowboy in, costume in, like, the, in the costume shop from Hillary Duff's A Cinderella Story. <laughs> You're really going in all in with those niche references. <laughs> there's something out there. Um. Anyway, but yeah. Yeah, the the app as a central as a central conceit, I liked that uh, Murph says, "Oh, so I'm basically your pimp," <laughs> and I like that because like it's yeah. not that different from being a prostitute, like or being an escort rather. Yeah. Like he doesn't have sex, but like a lot of escorts are really just, just like arm candy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and he tries to say, "Oh no, it's something totally different." Whatever, it's really not. So app is dumb, but it's kind of it's not actually a huge part of the movie the part that made me laugh the most hmm. 
they're at another party. Celia refuses to share her ice cream. Mm-hmm. And Brooks flashes her this look of pure disdain that in my in my like <laughs> head canon yeah. was Noah Centineo being like, I fucking hate you. But they like it, they didn't cut it, it stayed in. <laughs> um I loved that shot. And that's another thing that doesn't make sense. Celia nicknames Brooks Vanilla because she likes vanilla ice cream. That's not how nicknames work. That, oh yeah, I didn't even notice how dumb that was. It's so confused. What? Like you, you give someone a nickname because you associate something with them. Oh, because she said that he was vanilla. Like there's nothing to him. Which like, girl, there's something to you. She keeps like talking about him or like viewing him as if he's just like this cardboard cutout. Like he's far. Like I don't like him either. But he, I feel like he's more complex than she is. She's yeah. just like a rich little girl. And, like he also sucks. But at least he's working towards something. Yeah. Like she, I don't know. He's not vanilla. Um, I mean, he is, but... <laughs> the scene after that, uh, it, I actually, I think it's um, when he comes home from the party where they're eating ice cream, Brooks's dad says, oh, you did help me in a way. I applied for this fellowship, quote, because you were so terribly and vividly mean to me. <laughs> <laughs> and that line just stood out as this, like, perfect, beautiful gem in this movie. So terribly and vividly mean to me. I just love that. Basically because Brooks brushed off his dad and his dad, I guess, took it as inspiration to to actually get his career off the ground. I don't really... Maybe you have a better handle on the plot than I do. There's not really one. There isn't really a plot. plot. No, it's essentially he just wants to go to Yale. She's rich and she has connections, so she gets him an interview to Yale. Yeah. With and the, then with the dean, I guess. And then the rest of it, it's mostly just like him putting on different costumes. Yes. And then him learning that I should be myself. Yeah. I can't pretend to do things because and it's not me. So Brooks and Celia each have a love interest. Mm. Celia's is is it Franklin, I think. Is Franklin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Franklin. He's like a douchey little hipster boy. Exactly. Um, and Brooks's is Shelby, who's like a rich Riverdale. girl. By the end, I don't even want to go through the plot because it's nothing a, really happens. And it's kind of exhausting. Like, just like it's not important <laughs> enough to talk about. Yeah. Basically, they find out. Oh, the I we were both pretending to be people we weren't to be with these people. So basically, Brooks said that he was from a rich family and a rich place to be with Shelby, mm-hmm. and uh, Celia pretended, pretended to be, to be like into vinyl or, or whatever yeah, to coffee. be with Franklin. Franklin reveals that he is trash bug, and that's, like, a huge deal breaker for Celia. Yeah, because she thinks it's the dumbest thing in the world. Leave the boy Even though she, like, he's creating something. Yeah. That's more than you can say, Celia. Also, there was something that I I felt incredibly intelligent, (laughs) but they never actually connected it. So, Brooks goes for a, um... An interview, which Celia is able to orchestrate, and Brooke says, wow, isn't it crazy how, like, all you rich people seem to know each other? And I love how movies just, (laughs) Netflix just does that, but, like, let's not comment on the fact that, like, it's just, like, a fucking, like, oligarchy. Like, not to get all Marxist on you, but, like, (laughs) rich people do all know each other. They do all cover for each other. They are all above the law. Like my parents say, everybody's in a mafia. (laughs) And everything's unfair. (laughs) Basically. So, Brooks goes in with the Dean of Yale for this interview. The Dean of Yale is very... 
over it. Like, but Noah's also bombing it. Like, why is he not talking about this app? It could have been like a genuinely interesting thing to talk about. Yeah. So the dean says, "I had a kid in here." He's like, "What do you do in your in your free time?" I had a kid in here the other day. He makes trash eating bacteria in his free time, and I was like, "Trash bug." <gasps> That's, like, Trash Bug is, like, this street artist that they've been shitting on the whole time. He's gonna get into Yale at the end. Smart girl. But they never... They're connected They it. never connected it. <laughs> they Dummy. either... They, they probably cut that scene because they were like, people don't actually care Fair, about yeah. Trash Bug. <laughs> I do. I love that, like, when he asked him... Because, essentially, Noah prepared ahead of time. He knew that the teen loved bees. So he yes. was like, worst case scenario, I'll just talk about bees. I loved the night when he asked, like, ooh, like, which bees do you prefer? He was like, oh, I think, like, Russian. And I was like, from my dad, who used to, like, research bees all the time and, like, wanted to, like, have bees in our backyard and be, like, a little beekeeper. I was like, I know this stuff. Like, I got it. <laughs> Celia uh, says several times that she's weird. She's like, not. Oh, I hate She's that. She's not. Very, like, um, sorry, I don't mean to do this again. It's very, <laughs> like, what's his name? Something bug in a jug, Jughead in, um, in Riverdale when he's like, I'm weird. Like, I don't know if you get that, but I'm weird. People think I'm weird. Like, I'm nothing a about Nothing she does is weird. You're not weird. She's rich and popular and fucking rude to everyone. She's not weird. She's just an asshole. So there's that. And I guess the theme of this movie is lies. Like, obviously, English Pretending teachers, English teachers are, everywhere yeah. are saying, a theme is a well, sentence, sentence, not a word. <laughs> but So I guess the theme is that you shouldn't lie about who you are. If yeah, you're not pretending prepared. to be somebody that you're not. Yeah, you can't get what you want, what you truly want, if you are not being Yourself. your true self. Um, because, you know, they're they're each lying about some aspect of themselves to get with what they want. But here's the thing. Shelby eventually, uh, after Brooks tells her about the app, Shelby quote unquote breaks up with him. They're not really in a relationship, but she says, I don't want to be with you. And he says, oh, because I'm poor. She says, no. And it's not because you don't have as much money as me. It's because you lied to me. And I said, that totally makes sense. Like the movie sort of tried to paint it as she's being unreasonable. But no, she she absolutely, they sort of, uh, they built Shelby up as a villain, but they tore it all down at the last second, and I found that kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. They gave her this weird, I don't know, they allowed us to really empathize with her at the last, last she minute. she wasn't doing anything wrong. Like, exactly. She's, just, she's, if anything, she's being herself. Exactly. She is a rich girl, she knows that she is, and yes. she doesn't care. It's the, and I found that so strange, that at the last second, they, they, I don't know if it was intentional that they 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 meant to show us that um, Shelby was sort of quote unquote good all along, mm. but I thought that was a that was an odd choice. I don't think they were deep enough to <laughs> intentionally <laughs> do that. So the climax is uh, Celia and Brooks have been pretending to be in a relationship this whole time mm. because they think. Why are they pretending? She did it at first because she didn't want him to go with Shelby, and then she did it. Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. So <laughs> she. She. Okay. Oh, so they want to have a grand breakup so that the other it. people can get. So they they've been pretending to be a couple because Celia initially pretended to be Brooks's girlfriend to cock block her. 
cock block him from Shelby. Now she likes him, so she wants him to be with Shelby, so they have to have a huge breakup so everyone knows they're not together and they can each be with the people they want to be with. Yeah. I guess it gets too personal. Brooks tells the 100% truth, which is like, you're such an asshole because you don't want people to think you are what you really are, which is just a boring piece of shit. <laughs> I don't know why he got that personal, but Celia slaps Brooks, which... I hate it. I that hate happens. that. I feel... I wanted to talk about that, but I, I'm not sure how... It, Can I, we stop normalizing? Women slapping men and it's just because like, they get kind of mad. It's fucked up. It's so stop fucked playing up. it for humor. And... Stop playing it that women are weak. They're not actually going to hurt them. It's fucked up to hit someone you love. Like, just in general. Don't it's fucked up to hit someone in general. <laughs> like, it... I, I hate it. I hate it. I don't like that it's supposed to be like, oh, she really got him, huh? Yeah. Like, and I don't think... And I, I hate when people are like, oh, he deserved it. Yeah. I think that sometimes people say, like, um, if the genders were reversed, this would totally be uh, inappropriate. I agree. Yeah. But I also think that that um, misses the sort of legacy of, like, historically, like, depictions of abuse yeah, that have been yeah, laughed yeah. at have been, like, men against women. Yes. Like, let's not pretend that, like, yes, yes, yes. that hasn't been the history of domestic abuse in the West on TV and in movies. Um, but that doesn't make a woman slapping, hitting, punching their boyfriend or husband or love interest that doesn't make it any less abusive. Yeah. It's still abusive and it's still abuse. Um, and I hate the fact that the guys never react to it. Yeah, because like, like they well, never deserve that. Yeah, they never they never internalize it as as, an, as abuse because immediately after, think of all the scenes you've ever seen that happen in. Mm-hmm. They always say, "Guess I deserve that one." Yeah, that's fucked no, you up. Didn't. Nobody I mean, deserves to be hit by the person they love. That's fucked up. Can we stop doing that? Please, just ask. Okay, everybody listen. <laughs> this is, but like, seriously, this is a 2019 movie. Right? I feel like people can pretend to be as, like, woke as they want. But it's, like, small things like that. Where that it's, like, show that, where yeah. He's like, nobody has actually progressed. Whatever, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm gonna, I have a thing that's been, okay, once we get to the end of this, yeah. I will, I will unload on what I've been <laughs> thinking about. But yeah, that that I wanted to talk about, and I wanted to talk about that especially in the context of this movie because Celia doesn't apologize to him. Mm. She says, "I'm sorry, but I'm not really sorry. And you deserved she's it." She's the one that has to like win her over, but I guess it's because like she's a backup, like uh, whatever. So, okay, let's take an abrupt left turn, like the movie does, <laughs> uh, to the best moment and the best performance. Where Brooks takes a walk with an old lady. Oh, who lovely. Talks. Basically, um, after the climax, we get this sort of weird cool down scene where um, a, a, an a, older woman yeah. requests him on the app. An older woman's daughter sets up. Oh, right, right, yeah. right, right, right. Because um, the older one, her husband died and they used to go on these walks every single day mm-hmm. um, like through their neighborhood. And so... Noah accepts like the app and they kind of hang out together and she's just like she this talks lovely... to him about the nature of love. Oh, basically. she's just this lovely little woman of wisdom. And and I loved her. Actually, when I said um, my biggest laugh before was at Noah's look of hatred, mm-hmm. that was not my biggest laugh. Mm-hmm. My biggest laugh was the woman is talking about how much she loved her husband. Oh yeah, <laughs> and she says, 
It's like his face was too big for his head. Old smushy face. That's what I called him. (laughs) And I just fucking lost it. I thought it was hysterical. (laughs) So... Basically, the movie sort of coasts into its ending. Yeah. (laughs) Everything just sort of slows down. There's so many interesting side plots and characters. That was that was pretty much what soured me on this movie was that Murph, the dad who's like clearly depressed. Oh my god. His wife left him. He has like Noah ditched him on steak night. Hello. <laughs> the dad is like trying to make an effort to raise his son as a good man. And his dad is so clearly depressed so that like Noah's just like Oh, you might want to clean up. It's getting pretty gross in here. Like, it's like your dad is clearly like severe. He's like severely depressed. <laughs> How about you, bitch? Yeah, Come and on. the the guidance counselor who's just fed up with his shit. There's a bunch of interesting side characters, and I feel like this the movie focuses on the worst two characters. Yeah. <laughs> the sort of boring conclusion that the film limply arrives at is uh this is brooks if i have to pretend to be someone else to get in i probably don't belong there so he decides uh to go to yukon not apply to yale but he never actually examines his shitty reasons for wanting to go to yale in the Mm -hmm. first place so well it is nice to see um a problematic (laughs) male lead, an annoying male lead, have to apologize for being a shitty friend and lying. Celia never has to do any yeah, of that. She just and gets she away with it. physically assaulted him. And she never changes. Mm-hmm. So the movie just totally lets her off scot-free. Even though, like, from a different perspective, she is 100% the villain of this yeah. story. Um, even though the happy conclusion, the thing that we're supposed to feel warm and fuzzy about, is him writing a letter in the style of a college Ew. admissions letter as Ew. though Celia were a, a college, college. To be accepted to, just like. As her boyfriend. Ugh. Um, I hated the mini like prom that they had in the yeah. sub shop. I hated her tuxedo shirt crop top that made me want to vomit. I hated that they still didn't better. know Murph's like boy's name. I don't I don't Yeah Murph has a little love subplot. I don't know why they didn't That's more interesting than anything that truly, happens in the rest of the Truly. And then um uh Brooks kisses her and he goes, I won't do that again. Yeah. And then he does and then he does and then he goes, I won't do that again. <laughs> and it just really made me giggle. Yeah. Really made me giggle. Yeah. So, ultimately, I will say, I enjoyed the perfect date more, more than, than I thought I would. Yeah. We really just shit on it, but like it was, um, it was far more enjoyable. Yeah, because honestly, it's competently produced. I mean, it's a Netflix original. It's well edited. The cinematography is fine. There are a few too many overhead shots, drone footage of the car driving, the cool car yeah. driving around the streets, which is like, oh, Dumb. whatever. Waste of time. I also like that they define the setting. They're in like Greenwich, Connecticut or whatever. Yeah. And I like that because so often in Can't Hardly Wait, it's like, we're in suburban town, USA. Yeah. And it's nice to actually have a well-defined, like, literal town. But, okay. Something has been on my mind. Please, please. It's been please bubbling and boiling on my back bo- on my back burner. So, like, teenage boys and girls, and basically when I say teenage, I mean, like, 13 to 15. Like, not okay. so much, like, later teenage. Okay. 
like different things usually. Yeah. And as an example of like something that like teenage boys like, I don't know, like like violent flash video games. Okay. <laughs> you know those like stick figure new grounds yeah. flash video games where you just like yeah. shoot people. The three words I hate saying the most as a society. Because <laughs> we do live in one. <laughs> as a society, we don't uh, completely shit on and revile everything that teenage boys like. Because why would we? But when it comes to things that teenage girls like, that's not the case. Mm-hmm. And I've been thinking about this a lot recently. And watching these two movies, especially The Perfect Date, really made me think about things that are sort of associated with teenage girls that are mostly enjoyed by teenage girls Mm -hmm. twilight fan fiction these types of teenage rom-coms on netflix they unlike every other demographic yep those things are permanently have this patina of shittiness and derision because teenage girls like like them. them and i thought about that and I thought about that because after I finished The Perfect Date, I looked it up on YouTube to see if anyone had made any commentaries on it. And all I found was there's a huge cohort of YouTubers whose bread and butter seems to be just ruthlessly mocking these exact types of teenage romantic comedies on Netflix, Uh like these exact ones. And I get it. A lot of them are poorly made. A lot of them are stupid and have problematic messaging. And I think it's fine to call that out. But it's like they're incapable of critically engaging with something because it has this weird cultural stigma of something that teenage girls like. Yeah. Like, when you think of fan fiction, like, it's universally, like, stupid. Yeah, grove. Like, it's, it's yeah. like, something that stupid people do. It's flimsy. It's cringy. pathetic. Yeah. Cringy. But when you really think about it, and I I have not read, or I've, I've never written, but I have not read it either, so I'm not super knowledgeable on it, but like when you really think about what fan fiction is, it's people who love a story so much that they write literally novel-length novel. adaptations of it. That's incredible. That's an incredible amount of work, and we just, as a society, away, yeah. we just shit on it because... Teenage girls like it. And I've done that to movies like this. I have seen movies like The Perfect Date and thought this is fucking stupid, rom-coms, sort of like a not like the other girls phase. Yeah. Trying to distance ourselves from this. And it's so shitty of us. Us, general us. <laughs> not me and Sylvia, but it's so shitty of us to just mock something just because a specific demographic tends to like it and teenage girls have enough on their fucking plate that um ruthlessly and viciously deriding the things that they love is fucked up i think there's like a clear relevant like recent example of that just like in pop media mm-hmm. um the whole like visco girl trend and how 
everybody just like I don't know if you're like you are. No, I don't know. Okay, essentially what a visco girl is is that um it's like a teenage girl who uses like metal straws because because like, <laughs> because like the plastic ones kill the turtles and they wear scrunchies like on their wrists or like in their hair and they have like a hydro flask and they wear big shirts with leggings and and Birkenstocks and they're like pretty like um, so specific. It's, it's incredibly specific. You don't even know. And they like they do this thing instead of laughing on their keyboard they go. Like S K S K S K. Gay thing. It was ever everything's always appropriate. It doesn't matter. <laughs> but um, yeah. And it was just like this whole culture of girls, and it like nobody really, I don't know, nobody really cared about them. But suddenly, just everybody everyone... decided to hate them yes. so much and make fun of them and mimic them, and like it became this huge like thing movement of people just yeah. shitting on these girls for I don't know caring caring about the environment and like <laughs> enjoying some kind of like fashion statement it was the most ridiculous thing in the entire world but it was like a very yeah. recent one direction movement thing yeah. everything like we everyone has this weird tendency to just fucking dogpile on things that they tend to enjoy I don't and know. that's fucked up no it is it's fucked yeah. up and I think the two movies we watched uh, this week, not so much Can't Hardly Wait, I think that's more, I don't know, unisex, I guess. Uh, the Perfect Day is definitely geared more towards girls, because of heartthrob Noah Thickneck. <laughs> but it just made me think a lot about, I don't know, the intended demographics of the things you're watching, mm -hmm. and if you are not within that demographic, what it means... Uh, when you tear it apart. Yeah. That's it. When there's a trend of people tearing it apart. Yeah. If one person hates something, that's fine. Yeah. But when you look at, I don't know, everyone dogpiling on something and you join the dogpile even though you haven't watched Just it. Just of it, yeah. Like, I'm sure you and I both, there's a lot of movies that like, we would never see that we only know through sort of commentary videos. Right. I don't know. It just sort of got me thinking about that. The next time you think about like, Oh yeah, that's so dumb and stupid. Like, think about like, oh, am I just saying that because like, teenage girls like it? <laughs> like, have you actually read Twilight and that's right? why you hate it? Yeah. Or do you just hate it because you know that it was Team Edward like, and Team the other guy? What's the other guy's name? Jacob. Jacob. Even when I was little, I hated it. But I think it's just because like I had an older brother and like he shit on it too. And exactly. like I didn't like I didn't like you know I didn't like Twilight. I didn't like uh, High School Musical. Like, exactly. Yeah, I was me literally either. eight years old and I was like too fucking cool for that. Huh? Me neither. <laughs> and, and listen, I have not read the entirety of Twilight. I read the first three chapters. It's not a well written book. Mm. So I'm not saying please don't don't mistake my words. I'm not saying you have to like these things. Yeah. Um, but I'm saying. Before you jump onto a dog pile, like look at it critically. Yeah, like, that's just because, and that's what this whole podcast <laughs> is about, ain't it? Yeah, that's pretty much what we're trying to do is trying to get people to realize that every movie, regardless of how on its face, shitty, brainless, whatever, look at it critically. Think about what it represents, what it means, um, who it's for, and just the story itself, whether it's a good story. And I think surprisingly i enjoyed these as stories much more than i thought i would yeah these two teen movies <laughs> i enjoyed them much more than i thought i would and i think as a start to our sort of exploration of of broadening our horizons that makes me excited because mm -hmm. teen rom-coms were one of my most there was a genre that i was incredibly biased against right and i feel like i've i've widened myself up just a little bit. Here's to more.
cheers to that <laughs> and we hope to see you back soon <laughs> that's all we got thanks so much later Ta-ta.